Welcome to Rising Stars, where Miriam Knight, publisher of New Consciousness Review, interviews exciting new voices in the world of progressive and transformational books, films, and ideas who offer intriguing perspectives on life, the universe, and everything in between. Join us as we celebrate the conscious awakening and explore many expressions of consciousness in action. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rising Stars and New Consciousness Review. I'm Miriam Knight, and my guest today is James Van Prague. James is a world-renowned spiritual medium and the number one New York Times best-selling author who has written over a dozen books, including his latest book, The Power of Love. A survival evidence medium, James provides proof of life after death through highly detailed messages channeled straight from the spiritual realm. James has been a familiar presence on TV and radio for over three decades. He was the creator and the executive producer of CBS's long-running series, The Ghost Whisperer, starring Jennifer Love Hewitt. Recently, he launched the James Van Prague School of Mystical Arts, and he is with us today to discuss his new book, The Power of Love, Connecting to the Oneness. First of all, welcome. Thank you, Miriam. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I thought your book was really a, a distillation of everything that you have worked for throughout, or at throughout your life. It just seems to pull it together in the most beautiful way. Well, thank you. That's, uh, that is exactly how I feel, and you got it. So thank you. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's 35 years of my work is in this book. Exactly. Oh, wow. Well, we're, we're going to be featuring this book on our reviewers' roundtable because I want everybody to hear about it. But Thank you. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to push this out through the airwaves and get okay. back to our interview. <laughs> okay. You have a lovely voice for radio, don't you? My goodness. <laughs> oh, thank you, James. Yeah. Now, you're considered an evidential medium. What does yeah. that mean? An evidential medium is um, a, a, a medium who is a, uh, a person who is able to um, communicate with the higher levels of other dimensions, other levels of awareness, um, souls that have passed out of the physical dimension, the spiritual dimension, and the, a medium is goes halfway. That's what a medium means in the middle. So I'm able to actually bring up my energetic self, if you will, or, or uh, my awareness to a certain level where I meet the spirit, and they come in and impress upon my, my mind. So it's a mind-to-mind communication, telepathic, you could mm-hmm. say. So they're, they're sending forth uh, impressions of memories, of experience about uh, their life with, with the person I'm giving a reading for, or the events that they had together, uh, details about their lives that only that person Really, who is I'm doing the reading for would know about that, and the person from the spirit world would know about those connections. So it's bringing through evidential details, names, places, events, memories, experiences that they would know. And this is not just a party trick, because it really <laughs> no, uh, it'll be a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> but it really helps people get over um, the the pain of losing a loved one or unfinished business that they've had. Uh, with people who have crossed over. Now, that, that's one, one right. The, that's exactly. One of the real uh, core points 
that I took away from your book was the difference or the opposition between fear and love. Can you expand on that? Sure. Um, I believe that it goes back to my belief system, which is I believe we are souls having a human experience, not the other way around. And I think as souls, our natural vibration, frequency, whatever we want to call that, is love, the energy of love. I think that's what we're made from. I think fear is very much of a human concept. I think fear is involved with the ego. So I always say fear, false ego appearing real. And I think that life is a series of choices. So if we go back to very early age to present day, we can see that really life was a series of choices that we made. And the choices that we made were based upon two things, either love or fear. And a lot of people choose fear, even whether they're conscious of it or not, because many of us are raised where we want to please somebody, whether it's our parents or society. So we choose to behave a certain way, act a certain way, go into uh, jobs, positions, careers, uh, relationships, maybe based upon what other people think of us or how we be approved by other people. So we're not living our true self. If we don't, if we're not living in a space of, well, you know, I love what I'm doing here, and I'm just, it might not make sense to other people or this person I'm having a relationship with, other people might not understand it, but I have to do what feels right to me, what I love to do, have a passion. And that, I would say, the person is a very happy person or living a great life, and they'll be very uh, fulfilled because they're coming from their natural vibration of love, their soul's energy. But if they're living a life to please others, or really caring what other people think of them, they're living in fear. So they won't live Mm -hmm. a happy life per se as much as they, they won't live to their highest potential. So that's what I mean by that. I mean by that life is a series of choices, and choices are based upon either love or fear. And of course, the ultimate fear is the fear of death. And what you do as an evidential medium is really convinced people that there is no death or death is an illusion. That's exactly right, because all around us, Miriam, all around us, we know that there's oxygen all around us, but we don't see it, but yet we use it to sustain our lives. We know that there are radio waves, all the types of frequencies and waves all around us. Here we are speaking on the radio, but, and people can hear from all over the world, but we don't see our actual voices physically in the airwaves, but yet we know they exist. Same thing with the spiritual dimensions, and, and same thing with, with us. Again, as a soul, I, I think that we are not just in this body. I always say as, as a soul, 20% of who we are is in the body. Probably 80% is out of the body. So there's more, many levels of consciousness and awareness and so forth. And I, I really uh, try and teach people, educate people in the, to the awareness that you are not the body. This is a temporary space that you're in for 60, 70, 80 years, maybe 10 years, as long as the soul needs to learn its lessons. And then you go home. This is, this is the illusionary world, the earth. And the spirit world is our, our soul's home. That's where we belong. And we know that there is no pain with death because we've had a lot of people have had near-death experiences and come back and talk about those experiences, myself included. And that is a natural state when we leave the body. It's our graduation. It's our time to go home. And I've never met in 35 years of doing this work one person come back and say, oh, I really miss that physical body. I really miss the pain, the density, the fears. I really miss it. I've never had that. It's been quite the opposite. And yet we were created with egos. So the ego has a purpose. What, in your view, is this purpose? 
Well, the ego, I think, is very is very needed. It's necessary here to um, become. We have to have the human experience. We are souls that have come back to have this human experience. And in order to have the human experience, we have to have a sense in this illusionary world of ourselves, um, um, physical way, in an ego sort of way. The ego is, I think, if you will, a help of believing in self, having some sense, resemblance of who we are on a physical level, on a human level, that we have to have that. So the ego can be very, very helpful in life. Um, it, it depends on what you do with the ego. Um, because I often say ego can be uh, E-G-O, edging God out. So it has to be a fine balance. The ego helps us to make things happen, to, to evolve in certain ways here in this world, and to believe in ourselves, to make things happen if we have a healthy ego. But we have to be very, very careful again, with everything, that there is proper balance, that there is a moderation, because if there's too much ego, then you can't see yourself true for who you truly are because you're trying mm-hmm. to feed into this illusion. Um, so there's got to be a strong sense of self, and I think the ego helps to the belief, belief in self, if you will. Doesn't it also play a role in expanding... I guess in expanding the universe. I always think of the veil, you know, the, of forgetfulness when we take on a body here as being the creator's way of giving us free reign to create our lives in any way that we can conceive of. Exactly right. No, I, I, I totally agree with you. And, and when we do go for that valley of forgetfulness, exactly right. So. It helps us to have a sense of, I don't know if we would say belief in ourselves. And, and we, again, if we have a sense of, of ourselves, we can accomplish so much, so much more on this earth. Um, I, I, again, I go back to the soul, the experience of um, that, that you've come back. I, I believe in reincarnation. I believe that we've been to many different schools, and the earth is one of many, many, many schools. I, I believe there are spaces and places and when says the spirit world, how can you define this earth for many people to understand it in the human world? And they said, well, James, the best way you could understand the earth world is that it's a grain of sand on the beach. So mm-hmm. that's how many planets <laughs> and spaces and star systems that, that there are. So I think the ego in some way keeps us grounded in some way between uh, a part of the mind, that, uh, between the conscious, maybe the unconscious, and, and it's in some ways responsible for living in this reality, if you will, and testing out certain aspects of this reality. But I, I think when people go through these, the more in tune they get with themselves, their own souls, whether that's through a path of um, prayer, religion, mindfulness, meditation, uh, I, I think they get more to their soul self. And the soul self, I believe, has lived many, many lifetimes, many, many experiences. So we get that innate wisdom, if you will. And the more one is willing to go within and listen to that wisdom, they'll always be correct. They'll always be right. But when they fall into that human part, the, sometimes the ego, sometimes that will get in the way and holds them back from their truth. Mm. We're speaking with James Van Prague about his new book, The Power of Love Connecting to the Oneness. James, you Talk in your book about letting our soul's expression blossom. How do we find out what our soul really wants to be? I think that, as uh, I was just uh, talking about earlier, that 
we have to have a relationship with our souls. And I think that's part of uh, one of the, uh, the reasons we come back here on this earth level, in this illusionary three-dimensional world, is to start to have that relationship with soul, uh, soul self. And the more we do that, the more we have that, whether it's, again, through prayer, meditation, uh, mindfulness, having that connection with your soul, once you do that, you find out the characteristics of your soul. And one of those should be a passion, should be an awareness. What do you have passion for? What do you love to do? That's, that's really what I'm talking about. Let your soul express itself, whether it's through painting or storytelling or design work or uh, writing or counting or whatever it might be. Let your soul express it. Don't hide your light. That's really what it's about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like no. you're doing a radio show, and this is great because you're a teacher. So that's a passion, teaching, opening people's minds and hearts. That's what you and I do. We, that's a passion we have. And I also think, Miriam, that, again, it goes back, I think, maybe lifetimes, that we create these passions or they get stronger and they expand more and more, and that we prepare for these lifetimes uh, with these passions. So I, I think that which ignites you, which, which you feel love for, that's what I think the soul's passion is. Passion and love are often used interchangeably, um, but love in your book has such a profound and and, uh, all-encompassing meaning. How do you define it? Well, this is really interesting. I I once did a uh, a, a tour to Sedona, Arizona, many, many years ago, and I used to bring people to different spiritual places around the world. And this time was about, I'd say about 30 people went to Sedona to see UFOs, because they said, that's where you see UFOs. So I said, okay, let's bring a group of people there. So I did. And we went to a Boynton Canyon, which is there, at 10 o'clock at night. And, of course, I thought, okay, let's look up and see UFOs. Well, it didn't quite work that way. Uh, and we were there, and I'm thinking to myself, people are paying money to see this. We have to have some kind of experience, I'm hoping. And I heard, I heard a voice say to me very clearly, a voice said, you need to meditate. You need to raise your vibration. So I told my group that, and we did that. We did a meditation. At the end of the meditation, um, we began to see different lights in the sky, different colors in different spaces all around us and far away and the a gentleman who was helping lead the group with me said, they're here. And I said, yes, I, I can sense that. I see that. He said, can you get some uh, communication with them? And I said, well, let me try. So I walked out to this field, and I really opened up all my energy centers. And I opened up the mind. And I felt uh, in, a, in a sense that there were these beings that were kind of lowering their vibrations, slowing themselves down. It reminded me of putting like a 767 into the head of a needle. They were really going down to this level, this human level. And they came to me in a a thought, which they said, we are from the Pleiades. We don't understand one thing. You human beings have the energy of love all around you, yet you don't use it. Why is that? So... I think that's what I'm talking about, we're referring to in the book, is that there's this energy, there's a sense all around us. We can create, we can use this energy to create the life we want um, by using love. Love is the greatest healing force in the world. It is a force that brings everything together. It's a force that creates. It's a force that builds. And really that's what I'm talking about. So whether it's that, that's a different type of love, of course, than an emotional type of love. It's a very different type of love we're speaking about. It's an energy. It's, it's a force. Mm-hmm. And it is sort of the opposite of fear. 
uh, it is the opposite of, of fear. Where, where, where love brings together, fear separates. And, you know, one has right. to be very, very careful of, of that. There's so many living in fear on this earth, and this illusion is an illusion. This isn't the real space. But if we could just turn that fear into love, it would be a very different world. I think that uh, one of the easiest well, ways I try to teach people and open people up with these exercises, and I, I put this in the book as well, if you could begin to realize that we are all love beings, we're all souls, and our natural energy is love, and how do we know that? I just say, well, try to realize each day that every person that comes upon your path is another soul. And that in some way, I said, just try to imagine in some way that that soul is put on your path for a reason, a specific reason, whether to teach you something about yourself or for you to teach them something. I said, I don't believe in divine uh, accidents. I think coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. I believe in divine interaction. <laughs> And I think if we could just see that every person is God, every person is a light, and every light is worth seeing or illuminating, and they might have had a different experience through lifetimes or, or uh, their childhood in this life, and they might have different belief systems, that's fine. But you could all try to see that God light, that love. See, to me, God is love, love is God, same thing, really. So if you could see that within each person, try to see that. Not the projections that they give out, not the illusions that they may live with, but that in it, in within them, is that source energy that pulls it all together, the light of their soul. I noticed that you mentioned in your anecdote about the UFOs in Sedona that you led the group in a meditation to raise their vibration. Is that why you have added meditations to the end of each chapter? It is. It's exactly right. Because um, the vibration of love, it's, it's a very quick vibration. I find that it's um, uh, a sense that once we get into this space of, of love, there is a, a quickening. There's a, I guess we can say it's a quickening. It's a, a feeling of movement. There's a vibration to it. There's a, there's a fastness to it. There's also a sense in that. It's really very interesting because when we are in this space of self-awareness and mindfulness, and tuning back into our God self, that loving self, we start to see ourselves and the world we live in differently, with different eyes, if you will, different perspectives. Mm -hmm. So each chapter, I want people to get in that space at the end to fully uh, embrace it and experience it from their true self. And that's why I do that. You also have affirmations in each chapter. Um, can you tell our listeners the story of when you were standing at the bus stop and developing your own powers of visualization? Wow. Well, well, the, well the, gosh, that goes back a long time ago. Um, <laughs> well, there, there are so many. Um, well, gosh, which one the, specifically? Because I used to do it every day. Car. The sports car. The sports car. Yes. What happened was I was working at, um, uh, when I first moved to Los Angeles, I was working at a, um, uh, a temporary jobs. And that time I was working at some kind of a talent agency, I think, in the basement, pulling staples out of contracts. And I used to take the bus every day uh, from my, my apartment to, into the city. And, and I used to see the – I worked at Beverly – it was in Beverly Hills was this, this place, this place I worked. And there used to be sports cars. There used to be Mercedes convertibles and these. And I'd stand at the bus stop, and I used to sit waiting for the bus, visualizing that I would actually be sitting inside a, a car, a Mercedes – with a convertible, and I, I visualize the color, 
the texture inside the car, the leather seats, how, the music I was listening to on the radio, as much detail as I possibly could. And several years later, I found I was turning on the street. I was driving in exactly that car, um, and it was one that I was able to buy. Uh, and I was I was driving in it, and that's exactly what it was. It was listening to the exact song and. And it brought me back. I said, well, I, I remember this. It was like a deja vu feeling. I created this once. So that's, that was that one time. And I've, I've had several of those. And I think that we can create. I think with our thoughts, thoughts are things. And we're able to visualize and create. And the more energy, the more power we give to our visualization, the more we give, I call it universal ordering. We let the universe then manifest that. But I think we have to know mm-hmm. what we are creating specifically in very detail. Um, I've also... Once, well, this is a very funny story, and I was a little boy uh, back in New York City. I lived in Queens, and as a little boy, I used to play with the trucks, matchbox trucks and cars around the base of trees, and we used to pretend that was our house. And I remember, this happened probably about oh, six years ago, I was driving to my house. I lived in Laguna Beach, and I was going up this hillside, and it hit me. I thought, oh, wait a minute. This brings me back to when I was seven years old, and I was in front of my house, and I was going up a hill to the house that I created. And the house in Laguna that I had was exactly the house that I created as a little boy, imagined as a little boy. Exactly the view, exactly the, you know, in my little head there. So I thought that was a very interesting experience. (laughs) (laughs) I particularly loved one affirmation that says, I let the energy of love guide me so that I no longer need others to define who I am. That's really what it's all about, isn't it? It's, it's taking agency for your life. That's right. It's taking the responsibility for yourself. And it, it goes back to, um, you know, everything that I do, Miriam, every, everything that I do really is working with I, I, the mind. The mind to me is the soul. The soul is the mind. That the, the brain dies a physical death, but the mind continues on, and that to me is part of the soul. So with the work I do, I have to be mindful. I have to be mindfully aware, and I've become mindfully aware of this energy of love, of that I am very, very different. Everybody is different. Everybody is unique. Everybody has an individual thumbprint, if you will, uh, their own identity, and I think that needs to be honored. And the more one can try to honor who they truly are, the uniqueness of themselves, it may not fit into other people's belief systems or other people's uh, ideas of what life should be or what one should do, but it's yours. It's unique for yourself. And you are a unique being. And we've come back on this earth at this particular time to share that uniqueness with people. So that energy of love, which flows through us all the time, because um, life is all about movement. Life is about flowing. And energy of love flows through us and around us all the time. When we can live with that natural ability of love flowing through us and being aware of that and use that energy, then life truly happens. When we try to stop that flow through fear, because fear limits that flow. Fear kind of blocks it, dams it up, if you will. And eventually, if you fear something, if you're holding on to something, if you do your do, so detached, so attached to something, uh, whether it's an emotional level, uh, eventually we'll find itself in the physical body, and there'll be what we call dis-ease or imbalance because the flow of energy can't go in there. So that's fear-based. That's that's, that's a, you're limiting that flow. You're slowing down the natural flow of love. So that's really what I what, what I mean by that is opening up your mind to the natural flow of your own unique being. And if you get caught up in what other people think of you, you're limiting God. You're limiting yourself. 
and one should never do that. That's a trap. And so many people have lived their lives, of course it can be generational as well, but so many have lived their lives according to what their mothers and fathers would think, what family thinks, society, this sort of a thing. I know I went to the priesthood when I was a little boy. I was um, boy, 14 years old, and I went to a preparatory seminary because I was raised Catholic. And in those days, in the 60s, uh, in this Catholic household, if you went to a high school that was Catholic, you were considered a success. And my mother was very, very Catholic. And I knew on some level that she would love me more if I went to this seminary, which didn't work out, of course. After a year, I was ready to go. <laughs> and it didn't matter at all. But now looking back at it, I'm sure I made that choice because I wanted her to love me more and thinking if I would do that to please her, she'd give me more love. And, of course, a lot of us fall into that. So wouldn't it be a more wonderful life if we just were true to ourselves? Indeed. James, you were talking about how we create our lives. And I was thinking about the disempowering messages that we take on from others and how we let them define us. And this is kind of the other side of the coin of affirmations, because if we repeat these thoughts, these disempowering thoughts about ourselves, that's what we are perpetuating in, in our lives. So exactly. how, do we, how do we get out of that rut? What do we do when life throws us curveballs? Well, it's a great, great question, Miriam. Great, great question, and one which we deal with every single day. So it, it, it depends on each soul how they want to deal with that. Number one is having the, 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 the realization that that stuff isn't real. What's, what's real is love. Love is the only thing that's real. And, and I play with people all the time because I find that humor, is, as you would know, humor is a wonderful way to get into people that they open themselves up and listen. Otherwise, it might confront them. So I say to people, listen, every day people are throwing things at us. We live in a world where there's upset, fear, war, um, uh, ego, crazy political things happening, all these different things going on. And I say, you know, we can't necessarily affect the macrocosm right now, but we certainly can take responsibility for the microcosm, what's going on within us, within our minds. What can we, where can we place our mindset? To me, everything is a mindset. So I said, we have the choice as soul beings here in this human world to tune into, oh, let's see, 88.2, which is about fear, limited consciousness, um, ego, um, uh, hatred, judgment, whatever. Or we could go to 106.7, which is love, forgiveness, compassion, understanding, patience, mindfulness. And then there's all those stations in between. Where do you want to place your mind? So I try to stay at 106.7 all the time. Now, how can we do that? It's not easy, but the best way that I've learned is to be mindful of the moment, living in the moment. Because if we live in the moment, we won't be in fear. Because fear is of the past. Fear of experiences of your past. That's fear. So then you're living, if you have fear, you're living in your past. If you're living in the present moment right now, living in this sense of being in the moment, there is no fear. And in that moment, you can choose how you're going to react to something. So let's say you have a, a situation with someone who's saying things to you that are not nice. You can jump right back in and have the choice to jump in, have a knee-jerk reaction, and go down to that emotional level and say something nasty to that person. That's probably the human thing, and a lot of humans would think that. Or you can stop, 
just take a pause, take a few breaths and wait. And be objective about it. Say, okay, why is my soul going through this right now? What are the lessons that I'm learning from this person? What are they saying here? And how am I going to react to this? So I have to realize as this person is speaking to me, I am also hearing all of their background, their family background, their history, all of their upsets in the past. So that's really what I'm hearing. And many times they're projections of their own stuff. And some of it might, I might be really hurt, but it's like, wait a minute, I'm responsible for how I'm going to respond and react to it. Um, Terry Cole Whitaker, as you know, Reverend Terry Cole Whitaker and Rain Wayne Dyer, and, and myself always use this phrase, which is how people treat you is their karma. How you respond is your karma. So you're responsible mm-hmm. upon your, the reaction that you want to give. How you look at something, how you can be objective about it. Do you fall into that negativity or the positivity? Mm-hmm. So keeping so we always have a choice positive. we always have a choice of how we want to <laughs> respond to it. and and we can always say okay why am i having such a difficult time right now with this person or this situation in my life or the family member or a job what am i learning from this what is my soul learning from this is it teaching me patience is it teaching me forgiveness is it teaching me self-awareness what am i learning from this and the more we start doing that the more we have that awareness and there's something else you mentioned also earlier, Miriam, about the affirmations, which I, I, I so believe in, as you know from the book, I so believe in these affirmations, because I believe that we also, as souls, we're magnetic beings. Not only can we create our, our world around us, but by our thoughts, we send out, we, in this atmosphere around us, we're creating this, this atmosphere, this environment. And there is a wonderful universal law, as you know, that like attracts like. So you will attract to that vibration uh, that you're thinking. Those things that you think, you'll attract that. So if you want pure love in your life, then you have to first bring it into yourself. And I, 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 I use a lovely affirmation every day, healthy am I, happy am I, holy am I. And I'm bringing in that energy around me. It's setting up that vibration in the atmosphere around me. And I know that those people that will be attracted to me, those experiences, will only be on that higher level of that frequency that I'm setting up. And the more people do this, it's so interesting, because the more you bring that loving energy to yourself and you sustain that every day with an affirmation and awareness, you begin to see those beings in your life, those people who you thought were your true friends or family members that were loving you, those people who truly love you and those who just say they love you. So it's mm-hmm. very interesting to see what happens. The other interesting thing is how we seem to revel in high drama. I don't know, human beings have this genius for creating <laughs> chaos and drama around them. And yet, when you connect with people on the other side, it all seems to be just smoke. It, 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 it's, it's irrelevant. And it yeah. really puts it into perspective. Can you give it's us very a few true. examples of, of uh, readings that you've given that really highlight this? Oh, uh, so many different types of things. Uh, so many different types of things. Um, wow. Uh, well, it, 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 it's so different because it depends <laughs> upon the situation. T- Thousands and thousands of readings. Oh, oh, it's so hard. It, it's so it's so hard yeah. because there are some times where 
as human beings, we do, we look at things, and things are dramatic, or we try to make it more dramatic than it truly is. And it's so interesting, because when the spirits come back, they'll often talk about, I didn't know myself. I didn't live my true self. I was living out of reactionary, uh, my reactionary self. Yeah. I was trying to please somebody else. And, and a lot of the drama comes from that because they're not being true to themselves. So there's a lot of talk about that. There's also a lot of talk where um, a father might come through or a grandmother or someone who will say, oh, and I have another example for you too, but who will say, I'm sorry I didn't love you in the lifetime. I wasn't shown about love when I was a child, so I didn't know how to give it to you because I didn't know what it was about. So that was very interesting. Another experience mm-hmm. I had once, very interesting, was a young man who came through with a suicide, and he was about 18, 19 years of age, and he was speaking to his aunt who was in the audience. And um, he, he showed me very, very clearly that he was kind of stuck in a space where he was in his bedroom, described a bedroom with a wall, the wooden paneling in the wall, described certain posters that were in the bedroom, and he talked about overdosing on, uh, on pain medications, and he was in the downstairs basement apartment, and he said the reason he did it was because he was angry with his father. And the reason he, would, he did that, and, I, and it depends on the type of suicide there are, because there are alternate reasons behind them, of course. But for this particular one, it was getting back at his dad, because his dad married a woman, a stepmother he had, and he never asked his son's permission. And the stepmother and the son never got along. So this was his way of getting back at his father. And... He really, we had to work with him, the aunt and myself, and it really was through therapy, that's the way I can describe it, is we had to have his mindset change into the understanding that maybe his father, his father needed love, his father, sorry, he didn't show him love, and the father never had the love of the, his true mother, of his, uh, the wife, the original wife, and he was trying to find love for himself. And we started taking it from that point of view, from, from the, the son realizing, oh, my gosh, my father has feelings, too. My father's feelings are not met. Well, I should expand my way of thinking, and not just about myself, but about my father's circumstances, and maybe that's why he ended up in. And, and, and we did this as a series, if you will, of uh, just ways in, as, as you know, with therapy, just a way in, just a way in to look at something with a different perspective. And the moment we started doing that, and he could see it from his father's point of view, he opened up and he felt very, very sorry. Now, before this, he was very, very angry. When he first came through to his aunt in the reading, he was very, very angry, and he was kind of stuck in that mindset. And it wasn't until we opened up the, the expanded the perspective and seeing it from another person's point of view did he begin to see it that way. And we ended up freeing him up to eventually saying, please tell my father I'm sorry, I apologize, now I realize it wasn't the right thing to do, I had a perfect body, I had every opportunity, I, didn't, I let my emotional self get involved, I didn't see the full picture. So that was pretty dramatic, that was a pretty amazing one. Wow, and you know, James, that is a lesson that we can take over into the political sphere, because um, I know we're all fed up to the teeth with hearing about We're politics. polarized, yeah, but, all of us, sure. <laughs> but um, trying to put oneself into the mindset of whoever is on the other side of the divide you feel yourself on is a way yeah. for us to bridge the polarities that have been tearing us apart as a country. It really does come down to love. Yeah. 
And, um, and, yeah, exactly right. It yeah. forces us to look at certain, so certain issues have come up. So certain issues and, and have, have arisen. Why are these issues come arisen? They, they were hidden before. It's something we have to look at. Mm-hmm. So now it's going to force yeah. all of us as a society to look at certain situations, what our value system, what's important, what's not, and question that about ourselves, question who we are in this world and what are our values, what are we doing, how do we want to move on with further generations, what kind of world do we want to leave with them. Those are questions we're going to have to ask ourselves. They're hard questions, but it's also we're growing. Um, we have to go through certain things in order to grow. Um, and maybe I do believe there's a bigger power. I think there's a much bigger perspective than we have as humans. But I do believe it is love. I believe that, and if we can hold that to us, that there's a bigger power, there's something we will learn out of this. At this particular moment, we may not be able to see the forest through the trees, but there's got to be something there because everything is love, and we're living in the illusionary world. So there's got to be lessons. There's got to be something to be open. We just have to be open-minded to see what they are. Instead of falling back to judgment, judgment is always fear-based. You know, judgment is fear-based. And judgment has to do a lot with control. I'm going to put you down because I want to feel I have some kind of control. When really, we can't mm-hmm. control others. We can just control how we respond to something. So it's, it's, it really Absolutely. is fear and love. Yeah. And fear is just projecting your past disappointments into the future. So exactly. live in the present exactly. moment. Right. We're speaking with James Van Prague. James, what is your website? Oh, my website is uh, vanprague.com, V-A-N-P-R-A-A-G-H.com. And um, my Facebook page is uh, James Van Prague. It's a public one, which is 500,000 people. People will go to, the, go to the private one, but that's not the one I use. I use the public one, and I go on every day and do <laughs> Facebook uh, live experiences. That's great. Now, James, your book subtitle is called Connecting to the Oneness. What is the oneness you refer to it, and how do we connect to it? Well, the oneness I'm referring to is uh, kind of what we've been speaking about a little bit. It's, it's, about, uh, the, it's about the everything. It's about the energy. It's about the force, the power. It's, I, I do a lot of work uh, through my school. I have a school called the JVP School of Mystical Arts online, and I, I do a lot of courses about this through meditation, through uh, awareness, through mindfulness, um, just that sense that we're all connected to one energy. So whether we walk outside uh, of the house, we walk in the country or the street, we can tune into the energy of a tree or the blades of grass or, or animals or other beings. It's this force. It's this life, this oneness, this creation force, the power of life that goes through all things. That's what the oneness is. You have created a deck of affirmation cards that I want you to tell our listeners about because it looked really beautiful. Well, the uh, yeah, well, along with the book, it was very interesting, Miriam. Uh, when I wrote, the, well, when they wrote this book, I should say, uh, two years ago, um, it was in a it was in a <laughs> they. session. Uh, they they because it's not me. I'm just the the right uh-huh. the medium. I uh, channeled it. So basically, my guides came and and wrote through me, which they do with everybody. They we were, we were just their writers, but they influenced me to write these words. And I didn't know what they were talking about. The power of love and the, the power of love cards, activation cards. I said, what are those? They said, well, souls need to remember who they are, and there are various aspects of their souls 
that they've, they've come through to uh, open up to, to learn about specifically. And these are ways, these are, if you will, uh, aspects of their soul, uh, subjects that they can look at within themselves and put their mind to, be more aware of. So whether it's uh, respect or self-love or creativity or kindness, there are different ways to activate that part of ourselves. And the first part is being aware. As you know, as a healer, the first step in healing, the first space in healing is awareness. So these cards are designed for people that their, if you will, your higher self uh, will pull the card out that you need to see for that day, for that week to use to become more aware of that certain aspect of your soul. They're bringing into love. Mm -hmm. So you can do kind of like spreads or just pick a single card? That's right. There are three different types of spreads you can use, and I have a, a little book that goes, a little guidebook that goes with the various types of spreads, depending on what you want to, to know about. The uh, activation spread is one. We use one card. There's another one. I have three cards uh, one can use from uh, past, present, future. Uh, and there's another one I have with a multi-card spread where you actually have it over uh, the head area, the neck, the chest, the feet, different energy points of the body. And... Uh, so creative points for the throat that you'll be at more creativity or the heart space where you can manifest uh, love right now in different areas of your life. So different types of spread, three specific different ones. Mm, lovely. Yeah. I remember towards the end of the book, you were talking a lot about joy. And the, I'm wondering what the relationship between joy and love is. I, I think joy is a component of love. I, I think that, and I, I tell this to my students all the time, I say, well, uh, joy is, is um, an, an aspect of love, of course. It's an element of it. And, and, and his joy is, I go back to that, and I talk about this in a book, too, in my, in my school. I talk a lot about this, where I have um, one of the meditations or mind journeys is I have someone go back to a time in their life when they were a young kid, when they had a very happy time when they were a child. And some people will remember a birth date or a holiday or a certain time they learned how to ride a bicycle, whatever it is. And I say, go back to that mindset. And many people say, that was when I was joyful. That is really happiness. Happiness, joy, purity of being. So, yeah, that's it. Now then I bring them to current day. And I say, what has changed? Why don't you have that joy anymore? And so it's that pureness of being. And I say to people also that joy, J-O-I, is part of the journey, J-O-U-R-N-E-Y. Joy is part of, literally part of the journey, the word journey. So try to use joy. Mm -hmm. Many times also, Miriam, I have found through my 35 years of doing a mediumship that I, sometimes I'll see children, children's spirits around a certain person. And, and I'll go into that. It's like you have, ch you have children around you, and they don't know really what I'm talking about. And it's their guides. Some of them are jo and they call them joy guides. And these are pure children's spirits who try to influence that living person with joy, to bring joy, to manifest, to influence, to impart joy in that person's life, to find that which brings their, makes their heart sing. So that's what joy is. It sounds me. like the universe is really trying to get us to be happy and successful and joyful and all we have to do is listen how do we that's right. how do we overcome exactly. our fear we have to listen exactly because and part of my work as a medium when i was developing my sensitivity 
we had to sit in what's called the development circle or sitting in the quiet. And I would sort of sit in the quiet. And when the quiet for me, uh, it was a darkened room. I closed my eyes. I wouldn't know anything. I wouldn't meditate. I would just sit in the quiet. And it's so interesting when you start doing that. And I did that for seven years. Every Tuesday night for two hours, I would do that. And when you start listening, you're, you're sitting in the quiet, it forces you to listen within, to go within, hear your heart, hear your soul. And the quiet is very loud. It becomes very loud. And it's when you can go in and have that awareness of yourself. And then you see yourself in the world around you and how you are, whether perceived in the world around you, how you will act in the world around you. You have a truest sense of yourself. And you realize that you are made of this loving energy and that people are... In the world, many of them are away from that, don't have the relationship with self, don't listen to self. And self is love. Love is our pure being, the pure self. You had a line in the book that really, one of many, that really spoke to me. You said, the only thing we take when we leave this earth is the love we gave and the love we received. What do you hope that readers will take from your book? Well, it's, it's very interesting because of 35 years of working and this book, and I've written, I think, 12, 13 books. This book to me, whenever I hold the book, it feels like a gem. It feels like there's a gem. It's a gemstone. It's something very, very special. And it's so interesting because I open the pages and I'll read one sentence and I feel an upbeat, a sense of vibration, a quickening, a, a sense of joy. I hope people get out of the book that relationship with themselves that they might have forgotten, that it's very, very simple. It's not as complex being a human as they might think. A lot of people get caught up in the complexity of the simplicity, which is that we are simple, loving souls, and we have a choice. It's either love or fear. So I hope this book reminds them of their origin, reminds them of who they are. You know, it sounds so simple. Why do we make it so complicated? It's, it is. It's very true. Exactly. We humans white like to make things soak. I don't know if that's to validate our existence uh, in this world, but I find that as I go within, it's much more exciting. <laughs> it's much more exciting. It's, it's much more. <laughs> and the cover of the book, which is really interesting, it's, it's this shock of light. It's this rainbow light. And, and, and the spirit world gave me that clairvoyantly. And the publisher, blessings to them because... They got very, very accurately the vision that I described to them. And it is that. It's that sense of when, I, I tell you, when you have the relationship with yourself, when you go within, um, and as you know, being a healer, as you go, go within, you have that sense, that vibration. And it's not that you're better than anybody else or you're more special. It's just that sense of self. And there's so much excitement and dynamic and interest and so much going on within. And then you feel that you want somebody else to experience that same thing, experience that joy, experience that, that sense of creativity, that excitement, um, that spark, that fun, because life is too short. I, I say also, and the spirit world has told me this recently, Miriam, which I love this analogy. They say, think of this world as time that is borrowed. And you know, when you borrow something from someone, whether it's a friend, a neighbor, you borrow something, when you, when you return it, most of the time you want to return it better than you received it. So they th say, mm -hmm. think of time that way. Think of time as this fragile piece of glass that you must return better than you found it. And I like that. And also goes into the earth, the world here. Make sure it's better 
when you leave, it's better than when you found it. That is so beautiful. Thank you for mm. that, James. Oh, you're welcome. Um, it's, it's very, very true. Well, thank you for the whole interview. In the minute we have left, tell us about your online school. Yes, thank you, Miriam. Uh, the online school is uh, many years I put this together because I had the right people, the right energy of people that were involved in it, producing it, and graphics and all that sort of thing, putting it together. So I have experts for uh, in this field who have a consciousness about them, an awareness. And I put together, I developed, wrote, created various schools, lessons, psychic lessons, mediumship courses that people can take on their own, uh, on their computer. So it's the JP School of Mystical Art. And is that through vanprog.com? Yes. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Okay. Well, <laughs> yes. thank you, my dear. Thank you so uh, much for today. Thank you, Miriam. Show. It's wonderful speaking with you as always. Really beautiful. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Have a blessed, loved-filled week. Goodbye.